welcome to the Undistracted Devotion Workshop. So you go, ooh. <laughs> so I just want to just take you through some of the things we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at, it's the, there's the raucous applause. It's just a little bit late. I'm just going to turn this off, otherwise it's going to keep disturbing us. All right, we're going to be talking about cultures, conflicting cultures. Um, we're going to be talking about navigating relationships. How do we do that? What's that all about? Where do we start from? What are we looking for? We're going to spend some time talking about the importantness of singlehood. Uh, singleness is actually really important. It's, uh, it's a foundational season in all of our lives for a good reason. Um, and there's actually things that God would have us accomplish and realize and grow into single that we simply can't do when we're focused on being a partner. So we're going to look at that tomorrow. We talk a bit about marriage, and we're going to have a few questions and answers. I want to just <clears throat> acknowledge once again and say thank you to Mishka and Siobhan. Um, first of all, for the epic burgers tonight. Those were really, sorry, the dope burgers tonight. They were really, really good. And also just for being here. They've set up everything. They've been running around all afternoon just getting things ready. So thank you for that. Uh, and then we're also going to put them on the stand tomorrow. Yeah, so you guys can drill them. So I'm, I'm letting you know tonight so you can come prepared, right? Okay. I want to say to you tonight that, that this workshop, especially tonight, is primarily a call. You'll see session one, I called it the call. It's a call. I want to call you out of something... And I want to call you into something. But primarily the call, especially the call I want to issue tonight, is a call between you and God. That's really what this is all about. You know, I've learned in, even in marriage, if I've got a problem with my wife, or if I'm struggling, or if there's friction here, and I go to God about it, He never agrees with me about my wife. I don't know why. I'm sure I'm right. He always points back to my own heart attitude. He doesn't necessarily excuse her, but his answer to me is kind of like, I'll deal with Helen my way. Don't worry about her. Let's talk about you. No, I want to talk about my wife. And God said, no, I want to talk about you. And this is why I'm saying that even now, our relationships and the way we approach relationships, the way we think about them, is primarily not about other people. <laughs> it's actually primarily between us and God. And uh, really, this is not about what your peers think. Because what I'm wanting to call you out of, or I want, what I'm wanting to, to have you realize, is that you and I are part of a culture, just the world that we are in, which has a way of thinking about relationships, a way of going about and doing relationships, which is normal. It's considered the status quo. It is, this is how we do things. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want to get married one day? Almost raised my hand. That would have been awkward. <laughs> uh, these two are, have, have taken serious steps in that direction, and they are already engaged. So that's quite exciting. But let's just look at a few marriage stats just so that you, we can have some sobering realities here. According to the current United States statistics, more than half of all marriages these days end in divorce. That's the same in the church and outside of the church. It's cross-cultural, it's, it's cross cross-society, doesn't matter. In South Africa, though, apparently our current stats are not only looking significantly better, but they, they're getting even better based on, on stats that from, from our last stats. Our, our divorce stats have come down by, I think, a, a few percent. But nonetheless, South Africa's divorce rate is very low by world standards. Um, and that's probably because of the, of the predominant prevailing culture within our society. But nonetheless, one in five marriages still end in divorce. 40% of those end within the first 10 years. We made it past, whoop, 14, and we're going. Um, yeah, marriage stats out there are, are not great. And, and, and the truth is that although divorce statistics paint a pretty sobering picture, there's many couples who are married, but whose marriages are really not great. They're not in a great place. They are two people who, have, who don't see eye to eye, or they're, they're, they're within the church. There are, they are very strong 
streams of people that are saying, no, you must just stay together no matter what, no matter what's going on. And there's all kinds of stuff around marriages and, 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 and healthy marriages. What I've come to realize, we were actually talking to some friends about this last night, my wife and I. I grew up in a home with two parents where there was unconditional love throughout, no matter what happened, highs, lows, ups, and downs. The same story with my wife. And I kind of thought that's the norm and there were exceptions. But I've come to realize, especially since being in ministry, that in fact that is the exception. Although there are a lot of people who may not necessarily be divorced, there's a lot of parents that are separated. They're not living together anymore. There's a lot of parents or, that are living together, married couples that are living together, but they're not engaged with each other. So Andy Stanley, in, in, in his recent book, New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating, says, if you want a marriage like the majority of marriages, or if you don't want a marriage like the majority of marriages, then stop dating like the majority of daters. In other words, what he is pointing to is what I'm trying to point you to today, is a realization that the way things are going, the cultural and societal norms that we have concerning subjects of dating and relationships are broken. And they are breaking people over and over and over again. And the Bible has a lot to say about relationships and how we should go about them. The catch is we are, number one, ignorant of them. And number two, for some people, it's just not popular. It's not what I want. And I want to say to you tonight, the issue of relationships is one issue in a, million, in a myriad of, of potential issues in the life of anyone who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. What once was good in terms of relationships has now become distorted and has become perverted. Our dating system. I mean, who would have thought that I could pick a partner by swiping left or swiping right? I'm not sure which it is because I've never done it, but I know you can. <laughs> you choose who you like simply by looking at them and swiping. What is it, right or left? How do you know? So You fell into that one, Marcel. You did. <laughs> okay and 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 it's a it's a lottery we, we 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 play relationships like we play roulette i'll i'll put some chips down on this one and see what happens maybe we'll, maybe it's a win maybe it's a bust i'll give this one a go and see how it goes and and we pray we, we play that kind of gamble with our hearts with our minds with our bodies and with our spirits the, when I say that our systems are broken and that they are distorted and perverted, let me explain to you what that means. A perversion is a kind of corruption that comes in and defiles the original purpose or the meaning or the state of something. So that which is meant for good, because of the way it's going, the, 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 the people involved in it are going about it, it's actually not doing them good. It's actually doing them harm. A distortion is an action of giving a misleading account or a misleading impression. Isn't so much of dating and relationships today exactly that? Isn't social media today exactly that? We always put our best foot forward, don't we? We always put out there what we want people to think about us. It's called perception management. And a lot of people are really good at it. But it undermines the truth of who we really are. It undermines our real brokenness, our real struggles, our real addictions, our real brokenness and the stuff that we struggle with. And so if I say to you this is a call, what I want you to realize is that as a Christian, God has things to say about the way we go about relationships. And what I want to do to you tonight is to, is to issue the call to say, come on up to where God's plans for you are. Come on out of what is the status quo, um, the quagmire, of, of let, me not, let me not dress it up too much. I don't need to. But in essence, let me give you this scripture verse because this really is the call in a nutshell. Here Paul is writing to a church in Colossae. And he says this to them. For this reason, since the day we heard about it, in other words, your faith, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, isn't that a really good prayer? It's something I pray over our church regularly. I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will for you in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of 
the Lord. Fully pleasing Him and being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul says, I pray that you will know God intimately and that as a result of your knowledge of God, you will live your life in such a way that you fully please God, that you live in a way that is worthy of Him, and as you do that, your knowledge will continue to increase. So you will go from theoretical knowledge that leads to behavior, that leads to experiential knowledge, that leads to greater revelation. And that is a cycle that you and I should be going on in all spheres of our lives as we journey our walk out with God. So here Paul says, I want you to live your life, God wants you to live your life in a way or in a manner that is worthy of Him, worthy of His call upon your life. Now that has nothing to do with being single, that has nothing to do with being in a relationship. You can do that in a relationship and you can do that being single. The point is, or the question is, is that your chief motivation? Because what I so often see is that that is kind of a byproduct and we hope that we live a life that pleases God. And we hope that God is pleased with our decisions and the way we go about things. But actually, we're just going about whatever feels good to us. Whatever we think is nice or good. And sometimes we give very little time to even ask the Lord. Very little time to seek His face and to seek His will on these things. I understand that tonight I am speaking to a room of people who I, by and large, know are believers. If I had to say to you tonight, is Jesus your Savior? By and large, you'd say to me tonight, yes, Jesus is my Savior. If I was to say to you tonight, is Jesus your Lord? That's an altogether different question. In other words, is He your master? Are you a disciple who says, I want to live my life for you? And I think most of us have the intention of that, don't we? I mean, surely that's what we would desire. I want to live a life, Jesus, that glorifies you. I want to live a life that brings glory to your name and, and, and brings pleasure to you. To have Jesus be my Lord in all areas of my life, means that none of what I say in this world, let me put it to you this way. What does it mean to make Jesus your Lord? It means that I submit to Him and I obey Him, regardless of what I may think, of my opinion, of what society may think, of what my friends or my family around me may think. His opinions, His word, His way is the way I choose to go. And I want to say this to you. If you're here tonight and you're coming to this workshop, you need to understand that everything I'm going to be sharing with you comes within the framework of the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. When we have that established, we can talk about ways of doing things, right? But if we don't have that established, this is what happens. I'll come to a workshop. I'll hear some interesting things of somebody who presents to me something that is different from what I see around me and the culture, but it's another option. Maybe I'll try that. Or maybe that's a good idea. I'll take that. I don't really like that. But if Jesus is Lord, I'm saying, Jesus, whatever it may be, I'm yours. I'm going to live for you. I want to do things your way. I want to go about relationships that I can be a light in the darkness, that I can be that city on the hill, that I can be the salt that savors, that I can be the candle put on, put on a shelf that everyone can see it. It means that I have committed myself to living a life that brings you glory. Not as some begrudging burden. You see, if we come away from this workshop thinking that there was this guy who came and made a beautiful presentation and gave us a whole bunch of rules of how we should live and not live, we've missed the point. So I don't, I'm not here today... Or, and, and tomorrow we'll also talk about some really interesting things. I'm not here to tell you what you must do and what you mustn't do. That's not what this is about. What I'm here to help you do is search and locate your own heart and your own convictions concerning your relationship with God so that you can yourself see to what degree He has influence over those areas of your life. That you can bring your heart into alignment with God's plan for you. I'm not your Lord. He is. I don't have wonderful plans for your life. 
I may have wonderful plans for what I want you to do here, but that's certainly not the calling and the destiny. You understand? So yeah, it means that we are committed to something, that as believers we are pursuing something, and that we are not in it for what we can get. So much of relationships today is people going into that because of what you can get. Just think about this. When I am scrolling through a catalog of people, like I'm scrolling through a catalog of shoes, like I'm scrolling through a catalog of sunglasses, I am looking for what suits me. Who's the center of attention in this whole exercise? Me. It's my preference. It's what I want. And I'll get to reject that which I don't want, and I get to accept that which I, and I'll give it a try. And I'll try it, I'll try it on. And I'll walk and I'll check what they look like in the mirror. And I'll, you know, are they comfy? Does this work well? Hmm. Maybe they'll wear in with time. You know, and we kind of approach relationships the way we approach buying a pair of shoes. It's about how this works for me. But if you understand relationships according to the Bible, if you understand love, just love, just basic love, that's the very, it's, it's the antithesis of that way of thinking. Because love is not concerned about self. Lust is concerned about self. Lust says, I want that because it makes me feel good. And we always think of lust as just, oh, looking at things that are naked or pornography or these kinds of things. You know, you can lust shoes. It's called covetousness. It's the same thing. You can, lust is how, I, how can I be satisfied? But love says, how can I be a blessing to that person? How can I lay my life down for them? Jesus said, greater love is no man than this, to lay down his life for his brother, for his sister, for his friend. That's what love does. It's very interesting for me when we talk about um, divorce statistics. Do you know what the divorce statistics are among arranged marriages? They are like ridiculously low. Why? Because there's two people coming into this that are, they realize I am now going to have to, the, whoever this person is, my parents and their parents have decided this is going to work and so we commit to it. And I'm committed to making that person's life heaven on earth. And hopefully they're committed to making my life heaven on earth. And we have a completely different perspective from which we approach the whole thing right in the beginning. We're going to talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. The point that I want to make is this. Our lives as disciples or believers in Jesus Christ no longer belong to us. I think that's really something we forget. Because we live life as though we're the center of it. We, we, we like to make the decisions and do the things that suit us. But if Jesus is my Lord and Savior, let's, listen, let's look at what the Word of God says. Let's check out a few verses here. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says, For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Check out this one. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you? Let's just pause for a moment. This is a really big deal when you understand the language that is being used here. Because the whole idea of a temple is the idea, especially in Old Covenant, there's a special place that God chooses to be within, with His people. Because God's heart is to be with you. Why? Because He loves you. God wants His presence to be with you. And so... Through Jesus Christ, here Paul is saying, your body has become that place where the Spirit of God abides within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, and that you are not your own property. You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made His own. So then, if that is true, honor God with your body. Isn't that amazing? So that if I'm saying that, Jesus, you are my Lord and you live within me, then what I am saying, and as a part of that whole package, what my baptism demonstrates is that my will for self, my, my right to self-determination, I have yielded that to you, not as some slave that is now bound to whatever diabolical plan you may have. I do that with such willingness because you've already proven and demonstrated your love for me. And I trust you. And I know that your plans are good. Let's listen to that same verse again, but we'll, let's look at it through the eyes of Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible. He says it this way. 
then you realize that your body is a sacred place. The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. You see, folks, what I want you to catch and realize as we talk about these things is the fact that there is huge blessing in doing things God's way. We're talking about emotive issues, emotional issues, connection issues, that, and these issues are powerful. They hold tremendous sway over us. Would you agree? As a pastor, I have seen many people forsake or put on the altar their relationship with God for a relationship with somebody, a human, a person, who doesn't share their convictions. Why? Because these emotional things are powerful. They draw us in and they suck us in. We're going to talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. But I want, to know, I want you to know that God's desire for you, both in singleness, in pursuing relationship, in relationship and marriage, is for you to be blessed. He wants that to be, no matter what state you are in, a state of peace, a state of wholeness, and a state of perpetual blessing. Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically, materially, whole and blessed. At peace with God, at peace with yourself, and at peace with those around you. Peace. You know what that means? We often talk about no regrets. I wish I had no regrets. These people who say they have no regrets, I don't understand them. <laughs> I live without regrets. Yo. That's, that's incredible. I, I got loads of regrets because I've done some stupid things. This whole idea that, that there is a plan that God has and a way that God has, that though it may seem limiting or restricting, is there to protect me and to keep me within the sphere and within the realm of His blessing, of His provision and His grace. Now, he gives me the freedom to step out of that and do whatever I want to because God is not a bully. But he calls us, and this is the call, is to enter that place where God's plan for you can be realized. Jeremiah 29, 11, we're all familiar with this one. I know the plans I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. You see, God has a wonderful plan for your life. The question that we need to ask is whether or not we will choose to embrace His plan and make His plans our own plans. Or am I headstrong and I want to go, I want what I want and I need what I need. The question is, am I going to allow God to make my plans for me? Does my heart and my life truly belong to Him completely? You see, God issues every believer with this challenge. And we're going to get onto a slightly longer portion of Scripture and then I will... I will just give a short demonstration to you of some things that I mean. I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you tonight. You can see that, obviously. Um, because I want you to see that throughout the narrative, especially of New Covenant believers, there is this thread where, where the Lordship of Jesus is established. Everything else takes care of itself. And here in, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, and I've, I've brought out the Amplified because it really just beefs up this portion of scripture and, and makes it resounding. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves as set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. What does he mean by that? Jesus gave his whole life for you. The rational response would be for you to do the same. And do not be conformed to this world. And this is with, he's issuing the same call to them that I'm issuing to you tonight. Do not go about life in the same way the world does, with the same priorities, with the same ways of thinking, with the same value system. He says, do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed 
and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. How? By renewing your mind, the way you think, focusing on godly values and ethics and attitudes. So like I said to you, this is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is an invitation to say, I actually, Lord, I want to turn to you so that you will teach me how to think, not just what to think about relationships, but the heart behind it, how to think about going about building and looking for relationships, or how to think about my current position of being single, if that is the case. He then goes on to say, so that you may prove for yourselves. And I love that. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. God says, I want you to come out from that and be different so that you can prove for yourself how good God is and what good and acceptable and perfect will is for you and what his purposes are for you. It's a challenge. It's like a dare. Paul's saying, I want you to prove, show the world how good God is when you do things his way. You see, when you do it your, your way, everything is dependent on you for it to work. But when you do it God's way, He aligns things, and He makes things come to light at the right time and at the right place when you are ready for it, and you will be astounded at His goodness. And I will share you my, my story of, of, of how Helen and I got to be engaged and married and all of that story, because it's, it's rather remarkable. And it's just a really good picture of, of what, what Paul is kind of saying here. So he's calling them out. And, he's, and, and the thing that I'm trying to convey to you tonight is really an, the issue of lordship and who is lord of your heart. So he calls them out of a culture. Now, let's just call this, who gave us a beautiful smiley face? Thank you, Siobhan. Makes my heart go. So if I just write here the word culture, okay, and I draw a circle... What is culture? Culture is the way we think. It's the accepted norm, the way we do things. I mean, here in this room, we have a melting pot of different cultures. And just my wife and I, she's Greek. I'm South African, probably predominantly of English influence. And the way just these two cultures do things is diametrically different. Um, my wife is Mediterranean. That means she comes with a lot of this. <laughs> hey, Danielle? Portuguese. Are you Italian? You're Italian. 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 You see, you see how quickly that came out. Get yourself together. And there's things that are acceptable in some cultures that are not acceptable in other cultures. And some are some things that are offensive in some cultures. Like if I was to burp tonight because of Siobhan and Mishka's delicious burgers, that would be rude, and I'd have to say pardon. But if we were in the Far East, that would be the most wonderful compliment I could give. I really wish that we could learn something from them because I'm good at complimenting. Let's just put it that way. So when it comes to culture, right, the way we think, the way we do things, what tends to happen, and you will attest to this yourself, this is, let's call this the world, okay, the culture of the world. What do I mean by the world? Let me just describe it quickly. The Bible says that Satan is the god of this world. There are structures, there are ways of thinking, there are ways of doing things, and we see the fruit of that. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. When we look at our society, let me ask you a question. How is he doing? He's doing really well. When we look at marriages, how is he doing? He's doing really well. When we look at schools and the kids and, and drugs and addictions and abuse, Anxiety rates going off the charts, depression rates going off the charts, teen suicide, young adult suicide going off the charts. How's the enemy doing at stealing, killing, and destroying? He's doing a good job because that's what he does. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life. And that word life is the Greek word zoe, and it's more than just you're alive and you're breathing. It means that you carry a life within you that is divine. And have that life more abundantly so that you can be different from the world around you. Now, what tends to happen is that we come, as, as believers, right? We, we say, we go to church, maybe someone's met us, and I say, I'm giving my heart to Jesus Christ, and I now call myself a Christian. Maybe I've been born into a home, which is a, a religious environment, and I was raised as a, are you a Christian? Yes. How did you become a Christian? I was born a Christian. Right? And 
So what we have very often with people is what I would call a, cult a co-culture. Okay? Here we have the culture of the world, and here we have a co-culture, which we give a different name. So we say this is a Christian culture, but yet it exists alongside the culture of the world without any conflict, without any grating. It looks the same. The people talk the same. They behave the same. They have the same value systems. They pursue the same things in the same ways. We just call ourselves something different. And I want to say to you, that is not what Jesus came to give us. That is not what the Bible talks about as to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If I'm living my life and I'm going about my life in exactly the same way as everybody else around me, guess what? I'm following the same set of values. I'm pursuing the same purposes that they are. Now, having a good job, that's important. You guys are studying accounting, finance, right? That should bring you out. Hopefully, you get this right. You go, and in 10 years' time, you're bringing in good bucks, right? I mean, that's the purpose, isn't it? It is. Be honest. It is. Of course it is. Right? And I hope you succeed at that. The point is that, that we're all pursuing these kinds of things, right? And these things are good, and they're not bad. They're not evil in themselves. Are relationships bad? No. Relationships are good. They're a gift from God. But what I am aiming to get out of it, and how I go about doing that, is it being framed by this world's culture? And me as a Christian, am I calling myself something different because I've got this ticket in my back pocket that says when I die, I go to heaven, even though I'm doing everything the way everybody else around me is doing it, who has no God? Or am I willing to live in something which I will call counter-culture? Okay? Which is built on a completely different set of values, completely different set of priorities from this culture. And I don't really call, care what you call me. What's very interesting is the word Christian was not created by Christians. It was given to the Christians. It was given to the people who are of the way in Ephesians, in Ephesus, am I right? In Antioch. Because... People looked at them, and the word Christian means little Christ, those who are like Christ. They could see that these people were so different from the society around them in the way that they loved, in the way that they cared, in the way that socially they were responsible, in the way that they followed and obeyed authority, in the way that they looked after one another. Jesus said, by this you shall know, all men shall know that you are my disciples, by the sizes of your buildings and the wonderful songs that you sing and the miracles that you do. Is that what he said? No, Jesus said, by this you know, all men are going to know that you are my disciples, by the way you have loved one for another. Having me in your life is going to make you so different from the culture that you are going to stand out from the crowd. You are going to draw attention to yourself. My wife went, took our little daughter to one of her school friend's birthday parties. You learn a lot about who your kids are friends with by watching their parents. And sometimes that can be um, scary. Because my wife went to a little six-year-old's birthday party where the kids were left to play, and at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, the adults were already on their fourth, fifth, sixth tequila shot. And they were having a good time. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Someone's a little defensive. And of course, when it comes... When, when, when it... When it when it comes to the point of, Helen, why aren't you having any? Actually, I don't drink. I don't like it. Not, wife has no issue with people drinking. She just doesn't like alcohol. And, of course, she got a lot of flack for that. And later on, what do you do for a living? Well, <laughs> actually, I'm, my, wife, my husband and I are in ministry. Whoa! And now it's too late. We've already, you've already seen everything. We've got no... And just... Yeah, it's too late by that stage. The point is just that a different set of values in that particular situation really made her stand out for, from the crowd and really made things very awkward for her, made things very difficult. And I want to say to you that if you are going to follow Jesus, I think it's Charles Spurgeon who says, don't expect the world to love you when they crucified your Lord. 
right? People are not all going to understand, understand the way that you walk out discipleship to Jesus. And here's the ironic thing. Here's where the kickback's really going to come from. The kickback is not going to come from these people. Because they don't really know or care anything about your Lord. They don't care anything about Jesus. You are going to meet resistance with these people who call themselves Christians, but yet still embrace the values of this world and see nothing wrong with it. They embrace the cultures and the way of going about relationships and doing things. They have no issue with going from relationship to relationship to relationship. They have no issue with sleeping with person after person after person, calling themselves a Christian, going to church on a Sunday, lifting up their hands. And they think that's still okay. They think that's normal. The Bible has a lot to say about these things. And they're not to limit our fun, by the way. They are to give us ultimate and the best and the greatest kind of fulfillment and joy. So this is the essence where I'm talking to you about culture versus co-culture. Where I want to call you out of, I don't need to call you out of this, okay? If you, for most of us, we've come out of this, but many of us are still here. Why? Because our minds haven't been renewed to the point yet where we realize that there's actually a completely different way of thinking about these things and going about them. Maybe we know that there is probably a different way, but we don't know how to go about it. Where do we start from? And that's what I really want to help you with throughout this course and help you think slightly differently. Let me give you another portion of Scripture now. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, again from the message. And this is the heart of God for you. Paul writes to the church, he says, I want you to live as free of complications as possible. How many of you know relationships are complicated? <laughs> Buddy, put a ring on it first before you come with bold statements like that, okay? <laughs> relationships are complicated, okay? And those are legitimate ones, like, like marriage and, and, you know, the subversive ones. Those are way more complicated. Relationships are complicated. When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Speaking of Jesus. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in waiting and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. That doesn't even talk about kids. That's a whole other ball game. Helen and I often talk about the days, and it's just the two of us in the flat. We weren't earning all that much, but we had expendable income. Those were the days where we could go and treat ourselves to the spur. The time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried person can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. So in other words, your singleness is not without purpose. Your singleness is devoted, consecrated, concentrated purpose. This revelation really changed my life. It'll come out in the story most likely tomorrow. I'm trying to be helpful, he says, and make things as easy as possible for you, not make things harder. All I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life, and this is the key, folks, a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the Master without a lot of distractions. Here's the way the Amplified Bible says that last verse. It'll be the last verse for the evening. Now I say this for your own benefit, not to restrict you, but to promote what is appropriate and secure, undistracted devotion to God. Undistracted devotion. I want to say this to you. If you are living your life in undistracted devotion to God, God will see to it that the right distraction comes along at the right time who just so happens to be focusing on exactly the same thing you are, going in the same direction you are, pursuing the same thing that you are. And so your attention with them is not a distraction from what you're doing. Now you have a partner in what you are doing, in your calling, in your purpose, in your destiny, in the plan that God has for your life. Now you've got a friend to do it with, and that is the greatest adventure ever. I'm now not torn between two. I'm now not having to choose one over the other or make compromises. Why? 
because this person just has the same heart as me and they're in the same place in their journey as I am and we're heading in the same direction and we have the same calling and purpose from God. This is the wonderful thing about my wife and I. We knew each other for years and years and years. We were friends for years and years and years. But there was a day, and we'll tell you about it tomorrow. I keep wanting to jump into it. I've got to make sure you come back tomorrow, you see. I don't want to scare you all the way through. <laughs> I want to say this to you. Don't look down on singlehood. There is nothing wrong with being single. Listen, the chief end of man is not to get married. The purpose God created you is not for marriage. I know it's your Greek culture. Get married. Make babies. The chief purpose of man is not marriage. The chief purpose of man is to love God. God created you first and foremost for himself. And to enjoy him. And I say to you, you can do that just as well when you're single as you can when you are married. And the joy that you find in serving God and knowing Him and enjoying Him in your singleness will be multiplied when you meet the person who takes joy in the same thing. Multiplied. This workshop is not opposed to either marriage or singleness. I'm not opposed. I, I, I don't want you to get the idea that I want you all to stay single perpetually. That's really, and God doesn't want that either. The aim is to encourage a life of undistracted devotion to God, no matter who you are, no matter where you are on your journey. Because that devotion to Him will keep you on a track of blessing and of grace. And it will demonstrate the sincerity of your faith, the degree to which you truly trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Whatever His plans may be, whether in singleness or in marriage. In other words, <laughs> let's, be, let's, be re let's really put this out there and be controversial. I am so satisfied in God, I don't need a partner. If someone comes along, great. If someone doesn't come along, great. I am satisfied in God as I am. That's a place of wholeness. We'll talk about that tomorrow in being single. And just being content in who you are, in who God has made you to be, in the season that you are in, whatever your relational status may be, I want to call your heart just to, the, just to attention. And there's one final question, and this is just really the essence of tonight. Tomorrow we're going to talk about relationships and building them. Tomorrow we're going to talk about singleness, and we're going to have a good session on that as well. Tonight really is just to tee everything up and to create a perspective into which we put those conversations. Who are you living for? That's the question I want you to answer tonight. Are you living for yourself, for your desires, for what it is that you want to accomplish and for your dreams? It's very interesting to me that God calls Abraham, the father of our faith, into a relationship. He says, I want to make covenant with you. I want you to be the father of a whole nation. And I'm not going to go through the whole story, but there comes a point where God honors his prayer and this man at, at 100 years old has a son. And then 23 years later, 24 years later, God says, right, I want you to lay that son on the altar and I want you to drive a knife through him. Every promise that's been made, every, your whole faith, all your trust, uh, the fulfillment of all your dreams, I want you to put your dreams on the altar. And we know that Abraham, in obedience, does what God asks him to do. And at the last moment, God provides the substitutionary lamb. But God says to Abraham, you, I, I, was, I wanted to know if you truly trusted me. And it's very interesting, the New Testament, speaking back on that, says Abraham knew that even if God, even if he were to kill his son, God was able to raise him up again. That is how much he trusted God. Abraham, are you willing to put your dreams your desires, what you want for your life on the altar. And if you're willing to do that, I will do amazing things through your life. I want to say to you tonight, God says the same thing to you. Maybe you've got a desire in your heart that is so strong it could even be conceived of as an idol. Maybe marriage or that having meeting the one, whether it be the knight in shining armor, or randomly walking through a forest and finding a princess lying asleep in a casket. 
I mean, it is weird, right? Have we ever, have we ever thought through these fairy tales? Creepy. And just, you know, I think I'll kiss her. What? <laughs> Whatever it is that you may be dreaming of for your life. Maybe you're dreaming of prosperity. Maybe you're dreaming of the house and the car. Maybe you're dreaming of notoriety. Maybe you, whatever it may be. I want to say to you tonight, and I've, I've learned this. I've, I've learned this along the way, and I am a testimony of God's goodness and His faithfulness. Why? Because I had very different dreams for my life as to what you're seeing here tonight. And there came a point in my life where God wanted me to lay those on the altar and to take up a mantle that He had and a plan that He had for my life. And I'm not perfect. I have made many mistakes along the way, and I continue to do so. But what I have seen is how those fundamental decisions of saying, despite what I want, Jesus, I call you Lord, and therefore, I'm going to do what you want for my life. And in, and, and in that case, in that season, it was, I want you to become a servant to this man. And that was Pastor Andreas, Helen's dad. But you know, as a result of that decision, the course and the trajectory of my life has changed. As a result of that decision, God has spared me tremendous heartache. And He has brought me to a place of blessing and providence. My life is the picture of Psalm 16, verse 6. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I have a faithful and an awesome and a wonderful and a beautiful wife. I have a purpose in my life. That is beyond just satisfying my desires and needs. God has brought me to a place where I can influence people for His glory. And He can do exactly that for you. It may look a little different to mine, and your journey will be unique to you. But the question you need to ask tonight, the question I'm asking you in this call, who are you living for? Are you living for yourself? Or have you made truly Jesus the Lord of your life? Maybe this is a good time to just kind of close our eyes so that we're not aware of anybody else watching us. And I just want us to turn inward for a moment and just kind of consider this question. I want to give you a just a little bit of time just to think through that and ask yourself, who is it I'm truly living for? Let me help you a little bit. What are my decisions motivated by? Is it by what is convenient? Is it by what is cost-effective? Is it by my preferences? Or do I have some kind of guiding principle from God concerning the relationships that I'm in, concerning the friends that I have, the work that I do, how I spend my days? Am I satisfied with my relationship with the Lord? I mean, do I have, do, do I really have a relationship with Jesus where I talk with Him and He talks with me and I hear His voice and He guides me through His Word? Or do I just have this thing where I go to church once in a while and I hardly even know what the Bible says? I hardly even know God's plan for my life. I want to say to you tonight, if you, if you are wanting to make that decision to say, Jesus, though I call you my Savior, I'm convinced that you, want me to be your, that you want me to make you my Lord. If you are willing to make that commitment tonight, the way before you is not going to unfold like, a, like big doors of an auditorium opening up to you. It's not going to be like a red carpet is laid out in front of you. But what will happen when you make that hard decision is that one decision by the next, one day into the next, you will find that God, and he, by His Spirit, will begin leading you to acts of obedience that will establish His Lordship in your life. And that's what you want to do tonight. Then I want to help you, and I want you to, I want to pray a prayer tonight that you can Pray along with me. If that's you in your heart tonight, and with all your heart tonight, let's say, Father God, 
tonight as we sit before you in your presence, we're reminded of what it means to be disciples, followers of Jesus. Father, we thank you tonight that you have wonderful plans for our lives, that you've prepared good works for us to walk in and to do, which will cause blessing to come upon our lives. You've prepared these things for us, and you long for us to walk in them. And Lord, I don't know what they are. I don't have the full picture. But what I decide tonight is that I want you to be Lord from this moment forward. I desire for you to call the shots in my life. I want to pray, Jesus, the same prayer that you prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will be done, Father, but your will be done. Here is my life. I make it yours. I commit to following you, to obeying your voice, because I trust with all my heart that your plans for me are good. I acknowledge they won't be easy. I know they will come with resistance. But Jesus, I trust my eternal destiny into your hands. Therefore, I trust this life into your guidance. So would you take my life tonight? Would you take this decision tonight and make it count for you? May my life, Lord Jesus, be used for your glory. I long to know you in a more personal way. I long to hear your voice and I long to have you show me how you would have me live. That I may bring glory to you. And that I may make you proud every single day, Lord God. And so I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this night. I thank you for this confrontation. That you are calling me out of a way of thinking. And you are calling me up to where you are. And I say to you, Father, show me your way. And I will walk in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And that is the core of what I wanted to cover with you tonight.